Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of We the North is very fascinating to me uh, because I'm, I'm not aware of any other, what would you call it, whether campaign or movement that, that for the first time really integrates um, black people in the North and recognizes mm. black people's presence in the North because, you know, what, whatever you say, basketball comes with blackness comes with this otherness that has really not no place in traditional Canada and welcome back to the black athlete podcast I'm Lewis Moore author of I fight for a living and we will win the day I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness and the forthcoming Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Welcome back, Lou. And today is a special day because we have a guest. Please introduce the world to our special guest. Yes, today we are going to be talking about We the North and the Black Athlete Experience in Canada. And to do that, we have the leading expert on the subject, Dr. Nzi Ndiki Yumana from the University of of St. Francis Xavier Uni University in Nova Scotia. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and so let me just tell the guests like about you a bit. So she uh, she teaches sports sociology and Canadian sport history, and her research focuses on blackness and Canadian sports context. And then I like my personal story with her is that I met her in Nash, I think I want to say ah, Miami, Nash in, in, in Miami. And that was actually the first Nash I, I met Derek. And let me tell you about the birthday boy. It's Derek's birthday today. And when I met him in Nash, he, 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 he big time me. Um, <laughs> and, and we saw crossing and he was like, oh yeah, yeah. Hey, what's your name? And I told him my name. He's like, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to Disneyland. Bye. I was like, hey. <laughs> And, and, and then you were the only one I had to talk to there. And I sat there and, and I watched you on your panel. And I believe it was you did a presentation on Larry Gaines, right? It was on Larry Gaines, yeah. Right. And, and I just thought like your work was so dope because you took stuff that nobody wanted to talk about or touch and you made it so relevant. Um, so for, for the listeners out there, I know I named dropped Larry Gaines. Can you tell us who Larry Gaines was? Uh, so Larry Gaines was, uh, he, he was a boxer from Toronto. He was born in Toronto, um, I'm, I want to say in 1888. Um, so he, he, he started out as an amateur um, boxer uh, in, the, in the 1910s, 20s, and then turned pro around 1924. And he was a heavyweight, so you know he idolized uh, Jack Johnson, of course. I think in his autobiography um, he talks about meeting him, um, shaking his hand at one point when Jack Johnson visited uh, Toronto when he was a boy. Um, so yeah, he he becomes a he he, he turns pro, uh, goes to train in England, comes back, wins the Canadian heavyweight championship. Um, he really he cleans up on all the titles he can, but not, of course, the world title, which um, you know only Joe Lewis will be able to beat in say what it was it the, the mid thirties when he's coming down as an athlete when uh, he's really um, at that point he slowed down. I think he was still fighting a little bit when Joe Lewis showed up, but he just wasn't you know 
good enough anymore. But he he tried. He tried to get that title, but we know how that turned out. And is this kind of the work you do in your dissertation? No, I tr- I went slightly a different way. So it was still that idea of trying to figure out what the black athlete has you know who have been uh the black athletes in canada and what their story is and how we can kind of uh position them so i went to look at women this time around for the dissertation and although i started with the idea of looking at all you know all over canada the whole canadian experience i really zeroed down on on ontario um because it was more feasible and there was enough to tell in the dissertation just with ontario so uh, it was about women in terms of trying to just piece together what they have been doing uh, at all, in which there wasn't much of uh, anywhere. You know, there's a lot about, of obviously, men, but not enough about women. So it was community stuff, just, you know, women playing at school. Track and field was very popular. Um, some softball, some baseball and uh, looking at D1 elite athlete, um, well, elite black Canadian athlete in, uh, in Ontario before the 1950s. She was from Toronto. She did really well. She, she raced against the likes of Alice Coachman. Um, she just never made it to the, um, what do you call it, the, 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 the Olympics because, well, you know, it was during the war. So she peaked at the wrong time, really. And uh, by the time the war is over, by the time the 1950s are, are there, she's not, she's not competitive enough anymore. So that, that, that was what I looked at for the dissertation. So, Ornell, it's good. let me give us for our listeners and, and for me and Lou as well, a little bit of the context uh, regarding, um, you know, Black women's participation. One of the things we see on, on this side of the equation um, is the... Um, the role of historically black colleges. And so when you see these women athletes and men, you know, are they participating in kind of interracial spaces or do we see kind of uh, racially segregated spaces? Well, it's interesting because for the, there isn't any historic, well, there isn't any separate institution for Canadians um, throughout really the whole the whole 20th century so it has to be integrated if we're talking about say you know um athletic clubs or track and field um but then when it comes to things like baseball then it becomes um well black teams against white teams and rarely uh is it is there one you know an athlete integrated on on a white team but they exist you know in terms of baseball random random teams in the 1890s and then uh, some teams in, in later on uh, in, in the early 1900s. Um, so it is a mix of integrated depending on the sport and, and segregated in terms of team sports. Uh, interestingly, the black woman that I looked at in, uh, in my dissertation, the, the one from Ontario, she ended up at Tuskegee in the late 40s, right after the war. She left Toronto and uh, was in Alabama for the rest of her career and really the rest of her life. Um, so, which makes sense because you basically go and seek your fortune um, somewhere where you know you, you'll, you'll get some space because in Canada you can't go to school, you can't do much really 
uh, mm. despite all the, oh, we're better than, than America and we don't have Jim Crow going on, but then you really don't have much of an opportunity, um, you know, in terms of work and so, and, and, and so on. So Ornella, like you made this point about how uh, that can that Canada as a nation presents its racial situation as being uh, more uh, superior to America, especially before World War II with uh, Jim Crow mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, and this is a very common kind of uh, presentation, as uh, as I said to you in the pre in the pre show uh, prep that um, I'm working on this project. On a, on a guy who escapes a lynching in North Carolina and flees to Canada. And one of the things the press says is that he shouldn't go back. We should, uh, Canada should not extradite him back to the United States because of our racial situation, the racial situation is so poor in, uh, uh, in the United States. And thus the situation is better in Canada. Mm-hmm. But I think your point about uh, the athlete, uh, the woman who goes to Tuskegee, uh, points to the fact that there are very limited opportunities uh, for uh, Afro Canadians uh, at various points in, in the history, and so 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 tell me a little bit more about how uh, this presentation of of Canada's racial history plays out in the sports world throughout like the twentieth century. Well, well, that's interesting because the the man you're talking about is sometime in the nineteen twenties, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and then we at, at that same well, sometime after him, sometime in, in I believe nineteen thirty six, there's a big case in Montreal where this man uh, goes to have a beer at a bar somewhere near the Montreal Forum, which is where um, it, which is this big sport, um, I guess, yeah, the sports arena where the Montreal Canadien hockey team plays and he just wants a beer. Uh, there isn't any hockey at that time, even though the story has been distorted and the, there's thought that he was, he was a hockey fan, but there was no hockey going on. It was the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, uh, it was sometime after the Lewis uh, Schmeling um match the first one i believe uh-huh. and there was there was uh there was some tension uh because there was another upcoming or at least an upcoming interracial uh boxing match that was taking place in montreal between a canadian black um boxer and well a white boxer and um and there's just that tension going on which makes it so that when he goes to uh, order beer at a bar in Montreal Forum. He's refused, and mm. actually, he's 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 there with two of his friends, one black and one white. And of course, they tell the white guy that he can stay and drink his beer if he wants, but they won't serve the other two. So um, his name is Christie, I believe. Um, ben Christie. Christie's la- his his last name, anyways. Mm-hmm. So he he takes that up to court. You know, because they, I mean, they straight up tell him, no, you can't like go, go look. So I'm sure there's another bar closer to the black quarters that, that will serve you, but we won't serve you here today, sir, type thing. Um, so he, he goes to court with it, goes um, up to the Supreme Court, which upholds the decision by the bar because Yes, there isn't, you know, uh, a, a law that says that black people should be served somewhere and uh, somewhere else differently. 
Um, you know, the, the Jim Crow laws are not in place, but still, um, the laws say that bars and estab- like private establishments can basically do what they want. Mm. Um, they, you know, they can serve whoever they want and it's their unlayable right or whatever. So the, the Supreme Court upholds that decision in 1936. The, the following that, you, another famous case is the, what's of, often called the Rosa Parks of Canada, which technically is, should be the other way around, that Rosa Parks is the uh, Viola Desmond of the U.S., in that <laughs> she was before, uh, this, this woman was before uh, Rosa Parks. She's, uh, what is it, it's a 19, it's a 1940s, I forget the, the exact year, but she happens to, to she's, she's from Nova, Nova Scotia, and she's, um, what is it, she's driving from, she, had, she, she was a bus, businesswoman, she had a, she had a, a beauty salon, She's driving from one um, end of the province to another. Her car breaks down in a small town called uh, New Glasgow. Um, So she stops to have it repaired. Uh, They tell her it's going to take a few hours. So she decides to catch a movie while waiting, goes to the theater, um, is, well, buys a ticket and is told that uh, she can only go up to the balcony. That's where black people go. Um, Mm. And she says, no, I'd like to be on the main floor, please. And um, no, they say, well, you know, you can't. So she she buys a ticket, which technically is for the balcony um, and is, uh, I believe, more expensive, something like that, but then goes to sit uh, on the main floor and gets the police called on her, uh, spends the, the night in jail and is not is charged not exactly with, oh, you didn't follow the laws, uh, with She's not charged with not sitting in the black area, which technically there isn't. She's instead charged with trying to rob the province or the the government of money because her tickets didn't cover the main floor, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, cost. Something like a cent or two that she failed to, 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 to account for. Um, and she's dragged through the courts and tries to fight it and was never able to, was only pardoned quite recently in the, in the, in the, in the 20th, uh, 21st century, I believe, in the 2000s sometime. And now she's the first woman or black woman, black person um, to, to, to be featured on a banknote very recently. Ah. But in any case, this, these things happen after... Uh, that man you're talking about, the the one in Hamilton, the one who's 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 uh, who the Canadian uh, press is using to say that hey no we're not we shouldn't send him back back down because we're so much better. So 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 they they just construct these th- th- this nice story that says that no Canada is always better because we don't have the Jim Crow laws even though technically we're living them it's it's not in law but it's in custom is what many people many historians really put it how many historians put it is that you don't need the laws because it's just understood and people just live with it um you have sundown city uh, sundown sundown towns uh in the south of um ontario 
where black people for the longest time can't really walk around after sundown, right? Hence mm-hmm. the name. Um, and and again, it's not exactly law, but you'll you you'll feel it, and it's just there. Um, so in the fifties, there's the, there's a, there's a feature in a magazine, the McLean uh, McLean magazine, which is this long-standing magazine in Canada, that um, that that. Uh, what is it that, that that goes to dressed in Ontario, which is again Southern Ontario, uh, and the title of that um, article is Jim Crow lives in Dresden, because mm. Dresden is highly segregated. People c- cannot get into restaurants, cannot get into uh, barber shops. It's a very segregated uh, town. Uh, again, no laws exactly. You know, the restaurant is not operating by any law. They're just going by how they do things, which is they don't serve black people and black people just don't go there. So, you know, it's all baked in. And so they can say they're better by the fact that they don't have the laws. But in, in ways, it's worse because they, they, they don't need the laws to uphold any of this. And so I think this is a, a this is a fascinating kind of history about uh, kind of Black Canada vis a vis kind of the U.S. context. And I think one of the reasons that we you know the the reason one of the reasons we had you on is because last night the Toronto Raptors, now representing all of Canada, mm-hmm. uh, have made it to the NBA Finals. And part of the part of the narrative that has been emerging. Uh, around the Raptors has been this very kind of multiracial about as particular how t- multiracial Toronto is right, right. Um, there's this uh, there's been uh, tremendous media attention to uh, the Indian super fan uh, Batia, I think it's Nav Batia, who is a uh, car uh, owns, I think, a car dealership as a the representing the kind of uh, immigrant narrative uh, in Canada. Someone who comes to Canada with very little uh, can't find a job as an engineer, but somehow makes a way uh, mm-hmm. and now has is a super fan. Uh, you have Drake, who's uh, not only uh, is a global superstar, uh, but who is also biracial, both, uh, you know, his mother, I believe is Canadian and um, his father is from Memphis. Right. Uh, and then, and so you shed all this. In addition, you have uh, the Jurassic Park fandom that is happening outside, right? And so mm-hmm. the Raptors are now, and they won game one. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're, yes. feeling, they're feeling really good about <laughs> themselves right now. They're feeling good. And so I think there's a sense that um, what we, you know, uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about how um, black athletes, I in, in particular, like, you know, taking about last night, Pascal, uh, Pascal Siam, Siakam had a, Siakam, sorry, had a masterful game last night. Was yeah. the best player on the floor, um, and he really, in some ways, represents this kind of very kind of black Afro Canadian, right? That he's a guy who's from Cameroon, who's mm-hmm. in many ways because of his job has now immigrated to Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, talk to me about what the energy is around this team, and talk to us a little bit, and help help Lou and I really kind of understand. Um, you know, we the North. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of we the North is very fascinating to me uh, because I'm, I'm not aware of any other, what would you call it, with a campaign or movement that, that for the first time really integrates 
um, black people in the north and recognizes mm. black people's presence in the north because you know what whatever you say basketball comes with blackness comes with this otherness that has really not no place in traditional Canada so in that way this is the first time that there is like a very large in, in, welcoming and embracing of of this otherness but at the same time if just if you look historically there's been quite a lot of embracing of blackness so long as it served the purpose um mm. so uh just throwing back to the first man to make it into an olympic team the, the first black man to make it into an olympic team 1912 it i mean suppose it's early it's what the fifth olympiads at that point um it's uh it looks quite welcoming he's doing great uh he's one of the stars going into the games um but at the same time this has happened he he happens to be a recent immigrant he was from the US um having immigrated uh, about four years prior four or five years with his family to uh Winnipeg and um and he shows up on the team and there's quite a lot of enthusiasm not so much because suddenly they just broke the the color bar color bar which they had to really remove for him to be able to try out um there's a reason why mm-hmm. he there was there hasn't there hadn't been a black man before on the team so anyways he comes on and he's really uh greeted very uh warmly but mostly because at that point in time canada is realizing they really need a good showing at the at the games so that they can attract the right type of immigrants um mm. so that i mean the games that year are in stockholm you know um mm-hmm. so what is it western whiteness central they want to make sure they can get those scandinavian immigrants over um you know all the northern uh and eastern uh, sorry western europeans uh impressed so they need to win and who, however they can do it if they have to have a black man to do it then they'll do it so it, it, when you look at then jurassic park and 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 the and the raptors and the wider north yeah it's great it's definitely playing into this um this idea of multiculturalism that canada has been ha, has been flaunting for for a few decades now um which you know many argue doesn't quite work is just a old talk because um at the at the core of it we still have a, a system very much geared towards um not empowering and and not allowing these these immigrants of color especially to 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 go up and 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 make something of themselves when you have that an um that exemplary one uh that mm-hmm. exemplary immigrant nav batia who's doing great who came with nothing and made something of himself and can afford uh season tickets since 1995 when the raptors came um it just plays into that that hey look it's possible this guy made it every immigrant should be able to have made it this way and i think it 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 doesn't really um it doesn't necessarily help the the whole immigrant population because then it puts that on their head that if they can't do that 
they're the ones who failed. Again, it's that individualistic thing, right? It's not the system. It's not Canada. Canada's perfect. We're very encouraged. We're very welcoming. If you can't do what Navbatia is doing, then you know it must be you. You're the one who's who's um, who's the issue. It's not. Uh, it's not. It's not us. We're good. We we look. Look at how in you know how how, um, how how facilitating of your presence we are with the whole you know Jurassic Park and we have a team for you and so on, but then we forget why the the support is for basketball and mostly also the Toronto um, MLS team, right? The Toronto FC team uh, is, hmm. has has mostly immigrant support. Um, Mm -hmm. and you don't find that same variety in the fandom of the Toronto Maple Leafs, for example, uh, or Mm. simply uh, hockey in general, right? Right. So, yeah, no, that's, which we forget, or which those who want to kind of uphold that whole multiculturalism through basketball forget that, you know, there's a reason why they're going to basketball, not to hockey, because, you know, there's there's a bit of a, of, a, of an issue there, right? So it's it's definitely fascinating. Yeah. No, I think that's, that that point, that last point is 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 fascinating to really think about in this context, right? Because you you pointed out that hockey doesn't have this traditional kind of. Uh, uh, support amongst kind of Afro Canadians. In fact, there's a great documentary for those out there listening called Soul on Ice. Mm-hmm. And if you get a chance to, to check that out about Black hockey players and the kind of challenges and obstacles that they face, both historically and contemporarily. But in the context of basketball, at this point of uh, that that um, that Black Canadians can. Uh, participate and are drawn to basketball and and becoming very effective in this kind of multiracial support for both the Raptors and to the MLS team is is also fascinating in the context that in the last I want to say last eight years that Canada or ten years even that that Canada has produced all these high level basketball players and it's like uh, um, it's like Andrew Wiggins right mm-hmm. uh, uh, R J Barrett from Canada. Um, there's a kid uh, who, Murray's from uh, Denver, uh, who, uh right? Yeah, Jamal, Murray. Jamal yeah. Murray's from Canada. Yeah, really? he went to yeah went to UK. Um, there's the the guy who Anthony Bennett was the Lost, first yeah. one, number one pick for yeah, uh, for Cleveland. That's so good. <laughs> Yeah, not, he didn't. He he was he was he was a bust. But but there's just been this in, incredible run of of high draft picks from coming out of the Canadian AAU system, um, which is really kind of fascinating given that we're talking about relatively, you know, in the the previous probably like, you know, 70 years of the league, there probably hadn't been that many, especially black Canadians mm-hmm. in the NBA. And so now we've got this tremendous run. So it's about the globalization of the game, but it also speaks to the fact that we're talking about a particular pocket of, of Toronto that has got is is now a major worldwide city that has all of these kinds of talented uh, athletes that are being involved. Mm-hmm. Um, Lou, what you got? But what, what questions <laughs> do you have about you, about yeah, Oh, I got a lot. Um, for me, when I see We the North, what I, what what trips me out about that is, is how you saying how they embrace that as 
as a, a point of democracy, right? A point of equality. Whereas here in the U.S. context, we're looking at fandom as, and we're still talking about racism, right? Um, and so our point of like, this is democracy, we really do that with the athlete, right? We do that with, you know, the barrier breaker or those teams where they, where, where they have like multiple black people on it and all of a sudden white people are cheering for them. So the We the North Jurassic Park thing just stands out to me for, for that idea that, Toronto is is embracing fandom, but they're embracing it in an interesting way because I think we talked in prep. Those fans are there because they can't get into the building. And so when you watch the game, the fans in the building don't represent the, I would say, for lack of a better term, maybe the inclusion or diversity that you see in Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 definitely very obvious to me. It, it, there's, but you know, it, they, the the people in Jurassic Park definitely represent uh, Toronto, and you can see that that whole diversity is there. It, like, it's not kind of manufactured. They live in Toronto or around Toronto, and it's a big place. So there's there's they are there, but you know, they few of them can really say they can afford a real ticket inside the arena. Yeah. And, and another thing that's fascinating to me of this talk is, is of their, of these teams, right? That the people they're celebrating is black. And, and when we think black Canadians and athletes, um, you know, I, I don't know much. So I go back to like Ben Johnson. I also go back to Lennox Lewis. And from what I understand, Lennox mm-hmm. Lewis being Canadian is a contra is it a controversial subject or, or what? It, I would say just a mostly a forgotten subject that nobody remembers that he was, that he is, that he was Canadian, that he won a gold medal at the same time as Ben Johnson was, was being Ben Johnson in 88. So, um, so not so much controversial as it doesn't seem to be at the forefront of, of, of anybody's mind. Maybe because it's boxing and Canada has never been you know, just boxing never worked, or at least by the 80s, it was very much on the wayside and, and not not as prominent. And so he was let go. Uh, it's it's uh, it's an interesting issue there, or the, you know, an interesting subject to explore for sure. But you know what it also signals to, and this is this is like Lou's wheelhouse, but I'm going to jump yes. in here, is that like it also like it, like like his – his being forgotten by Can- uh, by Canada also speaks to the rapid decline of heavyweight boxing, right? Like, you know, like at some point, like all these nations would have been very proud to have the heavyweight champion. So there's this point where he comes in in the 80s and he's kind of sandwiched in between, you know, he comes after Mike Tyson um, and he's sandwiched in this kind of Mike Tyson's going to jail and coming back. And he doesn't have that kind of same interest on the American side of the equation, but it also speaks to the fact that like being heavyweight champion just does not carry the same weight. Like the champion of the world didn't carry the same weight in the mid nineties, beginning in the mid nineties as it did in the seventies, you know, in the eighties and and before, you know, and I think that that's a sad moment. Um, My own, you know, we always like these stories, random stories. I ran into Lennox Lewis, um, uh, one year we were doing New Year's in Miami and I could not believe how big he was. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, it's like a guy, he was huge. He's like six, 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 yeah. five. And you know, it's like, you felt like, Oh, this guy is, 
like how would anyone get in the ring with this guy and think that they had a chance right like get, get, especially because we know mike tyson's like 5 10 5 11 right like right. like you know and it's just like this moment where you realize this man is really uh unbelievably large um and so it is a shame that Canadians have forgotten about yeah. Lennox Lewis. I mean, and, and, and he has that. Uh, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say he has that that uh, immigrant story, right? I mean, from from uh, coming from the UK, his mother comes. Uh, just forget. Is it Hamilton? Some t- somewhere in 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 um, in Ontario, and eventually brings him over, and that's where he spends so many years and eventually goes on a Canadian Olympic team as a Canadian and then kind of checks out after the, the, what is it? Well, after the eighties. Right. But it, it, there is something about these immigrant athletes that have made it big in Canada, but that just didn't stick around partly because they were immigrants. So I'm, I wonder also if that played into him kind of not being considered Canadian enough because he had that that kind of connection to the UK, which you know made him a bit less, I don't know, diluted as a Canadian, maybe. Oh, you used the word diluted. Do, do, do be- uh, can I can I say <laughs> the interesting thing about Lewis though is that there's three, yeah, right? There, he's Canadian, he's Jamaican, and he's British, right? Um, yes. And I think people yeah. struggle yeah. with that because he's identifying himself, and and I don't know what lack of better term, jumping around, but he's really. Um, showing autonomy and trying to like identify himself. Like, look, no, I'm Jamaican, I'm British, I'm Canadian. Uh, so so deal with it. But but does it mean that like, and this is a way we can think about this really quickly. Like, um, like to be Black Canadian, do you have to be like Drake in your fandom, right? Because like, if you think about something like Carabana, for instance, right, where where um uh, where where uh, you know the west indians are celebrating kind of their um west indian heritage in toronto right they're not celebrating necessarily canadianness mm-hmm. that's that's a word right um whereas as whereas like drake is celebrating i mean he moves around as well but he you know he's very clearly at this point in career he's like you know we're you know we're the six this is the toronto this is who we are um, and in a way that has allowed for Toronto to kind of deal with um, and, and really kind of wrap their arms around Drake as their own um, in a way that we didn't see with even Ben Johnson before the steroids issue broke or mm-hmm. Lennox Lewis or any of these kind of black Canadian athletes who they we everyone knows that by because of their blackness, they are coming from someplace else or their parents came from someplace mm-hmm. else. Thus, their Canadianness is always in um is is some ways compromised right because of their immigrant status or their immigrant history absolutely i mean the compromised part is so true because you see that you know coming back to ben johnson in that he there's this interesting um uh what is it track in his story where he starts off as, as Jamaican. I mean, he, he was born there, right? So he starts off as Jamaican, starts climbing up the, what is it, the ladder or the the, the charts in terms of uh, track and field. And, you know, suddenly he gets recognized. He, he, he's, he's pushed into the limelight, becomes Canadian, uh, what is it, Jamaican-Canadian. And then by the time 88 is, um, you know, is on the scene, he's... Canadian Ben Johnson, 
but then there's a sweet, you know, a, a very quick decline once he he's found um, doping, where all of a sudden um, he's, you know, back to Jamaican doper. Um, so mm. there's a quick wait, 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 wait. This is not us. Like this mm. is an immigrant. This is this is by mm. immigrant. He's not white. He's not Canadian. He's not properly. We can we can safely distance ourselves from him. Um, which many have argued pushes Donovan Bailey later on in in the nineties to to quickly uh, immediately claim his double identity as Jamaican and Canadian, um, so that he, mm. there isn't any chance for him to be quickly dismissed as Ben Johnson is once he messes up, because that's the danger with Canadian black or athletes of color that are they're Canadian is that if they mess up, they're quickly going to be discounted as, um, you know, as Canadians, because, you know, the hyphen is going to come back and there's going to be an underscoring of how really they're not that Canadian. So Ben, uh, Donovan Bailey embraces that double identity quite quickly, sort of almost understanding that he needs to, to to preempt any any distancing that may occur and some occurs later for him as well because he's not humble enough he's not polite enough right he's not <laughs> he's not canadian enough he's not this there's this um hockey mentality that that uh that people expect uh from all athletes in 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 canada they have to be humble they have to just always defer to well, I mean, even if you're an individual athlete, you kind of defer to the team. You just kind of take it easy. And Ben uh, Donovan Bailey wasn't like that. Um, you know, he 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 kind of got in your face, and and there was a bit of uneasiness with him. Uh, but thankfully, that's the biggest kind of I guess stumble he he ever did. Um, the the biggest mess up he ever did. Uh, compared to say Ben Johnson, but he was definitely under his shadow for 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 a while. Oh, I mean forever, really. He the comparison could not he could not escape. Mm, mm. And that's a that's a good point. And I think that's a a, a great point where where we we're gonna start to to wrap this up. And and I hope uh, you listeners enjoyed our talk or about Black Canadian and, and Black Canada and sports. Um, but I would feel really bad if I didn't mention this point. And I think this also goes to the narrative that we're talking about is that one of our biggest moments in, this, in the context of U.S. history it happens in Canada. And that is Jackie Robinson making his uh, professional integrated baseball debut. Uh, so, so shout out to, to, to Montreal. And that's one of those seems like one of those stories where you can big up us on and then talk about democracy without really having to talk about progress. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so complicated there as well, because the idea that he was better treated in Montreal and, and that everything was perfect and that therefore he must have been perfect for black Canadians at the time. Again, kind of an illusion. But <laughs> we brought, we, you know, we would need five hours to kind of break that yeah. down. So. Uh, we'll, we'll come back. No, we're going to definitely come back. We'll have you, we're going to definitely have you back on uh, for sure. We could, we could spend a whole show on, on Jackie Robinson and, and that moment. So, uh, but on that note, peace and, and, and Derek, happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Happy hey, birthday. Man, thank you, guys. Yes. Yeah. Ah, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, peace, man. Thank you for coming on, Ornella. We, uh, man, we are enlightened and uh, uh, and greatly uh, enriched by your right, presence and you. knowledge. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right, peace. Bye.